0: Hello, and welcome once again to episode 26 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri Buñol, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Ben Golke. Hey, hey. And Spencer Curtis. Hey there. So before we begin our main topic, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Spencer, take it away.
1: All right. So the first app that we have is called Drone Trails, and it's meant to help you uh, figure out where you can, you know, should and can fly uh, your drone to get some great footage. So uh, it's this community that's built around, uh, you know, you can see where other people have flown their drones, get some uh, and and see their footage. Um, it's got great uh, other features like getting directions to those places, you uh, and the weather for you know uh, the current weather for where that place is, um, and be being able to share that with other people so you can kind of contribute to this community, uh, which I think is a great idea. I don't personally have a drone, but I'm sure that um, I would use something like this. I know that you know uh, for when I go and shoot photography, I love to do a little bit of research on whatever location I'm looking for. Just so that I can kind of know what to expect, so uh, and do a little planning beforehand. So, uh, if you do have a drone, I think this would be a really cool uh, app for you to to check out, and it's free. So uh, definitely go ahead and download it and give it a shot. The second app that we have is called Newsbyte. Um, this is a, a an RSS news reader. Um, for both iPhone and iPad, um, and actually the M1 Mac as well, or uh, Apple Silicon Macs as well. Uh, It does RSS, it also can do Atom and JSON feeds as well. It's got uh, widgets, it has, um, it will load the full article, and it's got a bunch of customization, which is super helpful, like your ability to uh, change the font, the size of the font, the spacing, color, etc. Um, being able to tag articles, hide articles if you want to, I guess. Um, uh, full pointer support, so if you're using a, a trackpad or a, um, a mouse on iPads, um, that's awesome. Uh, I think this is a super cool app. It's really clean. Uh, I, I really like the UI. It's you can organize things uh, by groups, filter things, sort. Um, Add things to your reading list. So if you want to throw them into something like uh, just, you know, the Safari reading list, that's great. You can also use Pocket or Instapaper. So definitely check it out. Okay, so the uh, third app that we have today is called World of Hex. Um, It is inspired by the 1983 game Fortress. Uh, if you have uh, played that before or are familiar with it. Um, what you do is it's kind of this turn-based game where you have these hex tiles and you uh, sort of play as if you are in the world um, or in the entire solar system. It's it's kind of on a very large scale. Um, you join one of four factions and then you kind of try to control uh, all of these different tiles. Um, and it's pretty cool. You can play on your own and it kind of goes over like, well, what, you know, what happens if you don't, you're not playing all the time. Of course, uh, you can kind of train this personal AI to defend or do things, uh, based on kind of what level you are. So it's kind of a cool idea. Um, go ahead and check it out. Uh, I think it'd be a really fun app for you to take a look at if you are kind of, uh, in the mood for that. And it's all cloud-based. So it's actually using cloud kit behind the scenes, which is
0: awesome. Are you an indie developer? We want to hear from you. Our list is getting shorter uh, as we get through more and more of, uh, of these wonderful apps, so please reach out to us on Twitter at Code Completion, uh, so we can spotlight your app too. Uh, so our first topic for today uh, is all about what to do with old devices. And to kick us off, I have a bit of a story uh, and some trials and tribulations that I went through uh, with regard to an early 2020 MacBook Air. So As we all know, uh, Apple released uh, MacBook Airs and then promptly released M1 MacBook Airs uh, (laughs) quickly, uh, obsoleting the computers that they just came out with last year. Uh, So we had uh, a top-of-the-line MacBook Air. uh, And then as soon as uh, the M1 ones came out that kind of blew it and pretty much every other computer Apple had uh, out of the water, we got an M1 MacBook Air. uh, And we were looking to try to sell... Uh, the previous one because we really didn't need uh, two MacBook Airs, uh, and especially an older one that was not especially fast uh, compared to everything else that we have. So I first tried selling it on Twitter. No one was really interested. I tried selling it to friends. They all wanted M ones anyways, uh, so that didn't go through. Um, and then I finally checked on Apple's uh, website, and they they have something along the lines of like, hey, if you have a MacBook Air, you can get up to six hundred dollars for the trade-in i would suggest you scroll up on that page and actually try to trade in your computer because that quickly got reflected uh as uh you can get up to a thousand dollars on that particular Mm. um model uh that we had which was like a one terabyte like souped up so we we went to through that process um and i tried with and without hey do you have the Power extension, the power brick, and the, the USB C cord. That's like a ten dollar difference. So just keep it. Like you're coming out ahead by keeping those accessories. Um, so my total estimate was nine hundred and ninety dollars, and it was through a company called Phobio or Phobio. I don't know how they came up with that name, but something about buying previous phones. Uh, and they partnered with Apple to do this. So um, for that to work, everything else was closed. So that was the only option. Uh, I had to send it or put in that request. They send a box. I put everything in that box after wiping everything, uh, and then I send it over to them and wait, uh, and either everything is in good condition and you're good to go, or they tell you there's an issue and they would send it back at that point. Um, So I did all that, and I erased everything just as the instruction said. Uh, That is now in their hands, uh, and at that point... Roughly a week and a half later, I get an email that says something scary along the lines of, we couldn't securely erase your device, even though I wiped everything. Um, So that was already securely deleted. Uh, We couldn't securely erase your device, uh, but we can recycle your device for free uh, at a trading cost of $300 or something for, I guess, the spare parts. uh, Or you can have it sent back to you. So I am immediately kind of pissed because... I did not. I did not expect to uh, send in a, a perfectly working computer for three hundred dollars, and I'm expecting like they broke something uh, in the process. But they told me uh, I can send it to the Genius Bar and they can fix the issue, uh, and I can try again. So I said, "Okay, send it back to me." I wait another week and a half for that to come back to me, um, and then I kind of sat on it because uh, Genius Bars are closed and they weren't they weren't available at the time until. Uh, until I saw a news story about a week ago uh, that said uh, Apple's now lowering the trade-in costs for the MacBook Air from $600 to $500, um, and that's that first cost uh, that they have before you scroll up on the page. So I immediately panic, and I'm like, okay, time to schedule a Genius Bar appointment now that things are opening up again. Uh, And uh, it also turns out that the price went up from $1,000 to $1,020, uh, for that actual trade-in, which made no sense to me, um, but like thinking about it and after talking with the people at the Apple Store uh, afterwards, it seems like it's related to the chip shortage uh, that mm. that is currently ongoing, uh, and that's actually boosting the prices of old <laughs> computers because they're they're the chips already there. Um, so in any case, I go to the Apple Store and I go to the Genius Bar and I say. Uh, hey, like this is not, they said there's an issue with erasing. Uh, is there anything you can check? They never heard of that issue before, of course. Um, but they went and reinstalled everything, and everything seemed to work fine. And they were happy to trade it in like then and there. So I didn't even have to send it back. Uh, so, more of the story uh, if you want to trade in your stuff, do it in an Apple store. It's way easier. <laughs> um, do scroll up on that page uh, and get a much better price than the up to price. That didn't seem at all very useful. Uh, and three, keep your accessories because you are definitely coming out ahead. They even asked me at the store, I was like, do you want to give back your um, charger and cable? And actually, never mind. It's only a difference of $10. I would suggest you keep it. That's what the guy said Yeah, uh, to me. <laughs> um, but like end of the story that that was fairly seamless and i would if you don't need your device again i would suggest checking the apple trade-in it seems to uh be fairly smooth um like pivoting a little like apple stores during covid i haven't been to one like since covid started uh and it was actually it felt cleaner than the outside mall that (laughs) it was in uh which was steaming with people no mask like not even one on their person uh, just walking around in groups. Uh and I, I had like a minor anxiety attack being outside that store waiting for my uh check in time. I like found a corner and huddled as close to it as possible to stay away <laughs> from people. Um yeah. which is talking about post COVID <laughs> recovery. Uh some people apparently it's very easy for them, others apparently it's gonna be a little harder. Uh but the Apple yeah. store was like super clean. They had um stations at every table for uh with like, uh, alcohol wipes and stuff like that. Um, and there was hardly anyone in there. Uh, so that definitely felt like the safer space, uh, compared to outside, which was interesting. Uh, but that whole story is kind of an intro to, uh, our topic, which is what should you do with old devices? I've traditionally like kept and hoarded, uh, everything I have. I am basically building a cable museum at this point, um, <laughs> with everything that I have accumulated, um, and there's some merit to that, but there's obviously some demerit, meaning old devices, old batteries, things like that. So, uh, Spencer, why don't you start us off? What do you do with your old devices?
1: Yeah, it, it depends uh, on what the device is and if I think I'm going to have a use for it. So, as an example, I had a similar situation to you when the M1 uh, Max came out where I had bought a 2015 MacBook Pro for something like maybe just over $2,000 when um, I was in college. And that was kind of my daily driver up until uh, I eventually kind of, you know, uh, got a real job and was able to kind of buy a desktop and everything. Um, and, I, and I loved that MacBook Pro. And I was like, it had sentimental value to me. But I was like, it's starting to chug a little bit. You know, it's it's not going to be something that um, is really going to be near as useful as an m1 mac if you know the rumors were to be believed at the time so um i began to do the same thing as you where i looked at the apple trade-in program um however they uh probably because it was an older device and it was one with uh, an upgraded gpu gpu and it had extra storage but they still would only give me something like i want to say it was around 430 dollars For a two thousand dollar macbook and i was like man i know it's only like it's been five years but that seems like a lot lower than it should be (laughs) um so i started looking around at my local classifieds and here in utah we we have craigslist but we also have another kind of classifieds list that's used more often in facebook marketplace so there are a few places to look um and i eventually saw that they were selling for around seven to eight hundred dollars and so I went that route and sold it that way and, and got almost double the money um, and then bought myself, you know, my MacBook Air for about the same price, um, spent a few hundred extra dollars on up- upgraded storage and everything. But um, however, I also have things like uh, Mac minis. I've I had a 2011 Mac mini right now. I just have a 2012 um, and I've thought about selling it, but at the same time, I know I'll get less than $200, even if I sell on a classifieds list. And I've got a couple projects that I wanna do. Um, One is uh, I'm probably going to use that to control my um, home speaker setup uh, with a Vapor app that I wrote to kind of toggle things off and on. Um, So it really depends on if I think I'll have a use for it or not. and, you know, if if it's valuable enough to make it worth selling. And in a lot of cases, I just probably mostly end up selling things. Or, for example, like my phones, I just do, do the Apple trade uh, upgrade program every year. So I don't keep my iPhones as much as I would love to have, like, an iPhone museum. That's kind of expensive. So I just get the new phone every year and, and kind of call it good there. Uh, ben, what about you?
2: Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of a mixed bag um for me i didn't i haven't done the upgrade program i had t-mobile uh i live in the united states and had t-mobile for my carrier and then um switched to we had at&t for a while and then also now at so and i have verizon uh and for a long time the i forget i think it was either t-mobile i think it was t-mobile maybe but anyway where uh For whatever reason, the upgrade program wasn't available to you for um, ordering and having it shipped to your house if you wanted to participate in the upgrade program, if you had that carrier. So it was like, in order for me to get onto the upgrade program, I would have to have gone and waited, waited in line on launch day to get a phone. And I did that in the first, I've had an iPhone since the iPhone 3G, and the first, I don't know, probably three or something iPhones that I owned i would go that was it that was all you could do so i went i mean you could definitely order it online but i i I just i went and and stood in line uh but i have since uh instead been getting up at like midnight and now it's they've made it they've made it better for east coast and worse for west coast where it's uh it's now at a sane time for east coast people it's like 8 (laughs) a.m uh but it's that's it's very early for for or maybe it's Six A. M. whatever. It's much more it's much better than three o'clock in the morning like it used to be. Um, which I did. I used to set an alarm and get up at two forty five and wait and then fight with the iPhone, uh the the Apple store app and the website open and then the website open on a different browser on a different computer and like which one is gonna happen for you know. So uh mm-hmm. that that uh that whole dance compared to like going in. But I basically I just didn't I didn't do the upgrade program because At the time, it was just I couldn't kind of like get it going because I wasn't on the right carrier. Um, So and then interestingly enough, uh, two years ago, so not not last year for the 12, but the one before that, I thought I enrolled in the iPhone upgrade program. But what I actually enrolled in with the iPhone 11 was just uh, making payments. I somehow I screwed up the order oh. and I, cause they, they gave you both options. You could do like just payments or you could do the upgrade program. And I thought that I was enrolling in the upgrade program. It was not totally clear. And it was actually just like, oh, we're just going to pay for this in payments. And I was like, well, okay, that's not really what I wanted, <laughs> but it's too late now. So, <laughs> so then this year, this past year with the iPhone 12, um, I ended up, uh, trading in that phone, uh, and then getting the iPhone 12. Um, and then I just paid. I just paid for it uh, outright um, because after the trade-in, it only ended up being like a couple hundred dollars out of my own pocket to then just pay for the whole thing outright and just be, call it call it done, uh, which is what I've traditionally done. I haven't I haven't done the upgrade program. So then the problem is when you have a paid for, a fully paid for phone that you own, right? The upside is you own it. The downside is then you kind of you are responsible to sort of deal with getting rid of it if you don't want to keep it after you upgrade to the new device. Um, and so for me, it has been kind of a mixture of occasionally selling them, um mostly trading them into apple uh i th- i don't i think maybe like one local kind of a sale, and then other times, um with both that and more so with things like iPads and other sort of tech, um I've become kind of known as Apple Santa in my family and friend group, where basically I have a device that i don't I don't need anymore because I've replaced it with something else. Or I just literally don't need it anymore for whatever reason, um, and and I think about like putting it on Craigslist or putting it. I don't have a Facebook account anymore, so I'd have to, I guess, make one to go on Facebook. I don't know. I haven't I haven't delved into the Facebook Marketplace thing, um, and just all those ideas just sound even before the pandemic just seem kind of like gross. Like I don't want to meet somebody yeah. in the parking lot, and it's just like it just doesn't it just isn't my thing. So and I've tried. I think I sold one device to Gazelle which was – it's a third-party uh, trade-in site, and it was – it went fine. Um, uh, but in general, I just the, – the, the, you know, again, this is very much a versable problem, but, like, just kind of a hassle. Um, and so uh, I, I end up usually <laughs> – if I don't trade it into Apple, the sort of the alternate is that I end up uh, giving it to someone. I end up giving it to a family member or a friend or something that maybe is – I, particularly like if they have a device that's maybe a couple generations old. I'll say, mm-hmm. "Hey, you know, would you like this one? It's like last year's model. Uh it's got, you know, more storage and sort of a better camera than what you have. So it would be an upgrade for you if you if you want I'll just give it to you and and they they take it and they use it. And that way, that way it still has a life, right? It's not just sitting in a drawer somewhere. Um yeah. again, uh it would be kind of cool to maybe own like the first phone, like my my three G, the first iPhone that I that I had, just to keep that around, just for nostalgia purposes. But in general, uh, I there's a, enough clutter like gets sort of enters our house and doesn't seem to be able to leave. So <laughs> having having like a pile of old tech uh, is a, an issue. The funniest part though is that just to kind of wind this story down is that uh, I end up I keep all my my boxes for things like iphones and ipads and whatever right. everything like it, i have there's actually we moved and i don't have in this new house in my office i don't have a closet um it's it's a room that is basically designed to be either a, uh, an office or a living room so there is no closet in here so i have like i haven't figured out what to do yet i've got like a pile i'm looking at a pile in the corner of my room of like nothing of but boxes. apple boxes yeah empty <laughs> apple nice. boxes all kinds of stuff and the funniest part is because i invariably end up giving away some of this tech uh, i usually try to i keep everything i keep the package i keep the box i keep like the wrapping that it, the thing came in and when i give it away i try to like i wipe it i clean it you know i wipe it i wipe the device and then i wipe the device down like literally try and make it look mm-hmm. nice um and then i put it back in its packaging i'll like try and put the the uh-huh. clear plastic around it again and all that and put it back in the box. So that way when I give it to someone, then like they get to have their own like unboxing experience. Maybe people don't that's care, cool. but I like, that's like my favorite part of getting a new piece of tech is, is like, is aside from getting to use it is, is unwrapping it. Um, and Apple's packaging is always just, you know, it's like way better than anybody else's. So uh, it's, it's extra fun. But, um, but the funniest part is like sometimes it isn't convenient. And so I just end up giving it to them And then so what ends up happening is I now have more boxes than I have stuff. Like I end up with like, well, well, this, what, why do I still have this box? Oh, it's because I had this thing and then I gave it away and I wasn't convenient to give them the box at the time. So, uh, so then like, do I get rid of it? Do I just throw it away? Like I, mm, I don't know. So I basically, instead of a museum of Apple of like tech, I have a museum of boxes, which I feel like is arguably worse, but I, I'm not sure. So that's that's my uh giving away old devices story.
0: No, I, I, I certainly feel you with the Museum of Olds Apple boxes. <laughs> because it's just I don't I don't know why I don't want to throw them away, but I feel like, oh, they'll come in use one one day when I put yeah. this device yeah. away, I guess. Right. Um but uh yeah so One thing that is useful about keeping old devices around is for testing. Uh, Like, it certainly is useful to have more than one iOS device. And it used to be useful in the past to have an older iOS device because it was significantly slower than the new ones. Nowadays, though, that is less of a thing, I feel like, because the, the more recent iPhones, they've long since eclipsed like Mac performance, and Macs have been running fine for the past 10 years in terms of, like, keeping up with the times. Uh, and so have iOS devices for the most part. It's usually the battery that goes before the performance of the device itself becomes a problem. Um, so I'm curious to hear about how how many devices either of you have around uh, for testing at, for iOS development, uh, and how many you kind of just think you need to keep around but you (laughs) don't ever touch after that point um so yeah like what what is your strategy there uh poor my my strategy (laughs) is poor so i uh
2: so i have my iphone 12 the my main daily driver phone that i use for everything um and i predominantly test on that um at work where i even use it at my my jobby job to do testing Uh, and we are in the process of trying to procure uh, sort of official test devices for each member of the team so that that are owned by the company rather than just using our own that way we don't have to uh, use our own and 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 that is that was driven in part by um, a member of my team who's on the android side using his personal android phone that was a little bit older a couple couple years old Uh, it was a I think a pixel one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we were reasonably sure that him testing the app, which our app is very, uh, it uses a lot of resources, um, potentially smoked his phone. Like he wasn't able to oh. reboot it or use it uh, again and had to buy a new phone as a result. Um, so that's not good. Uh, so we're, we're in the process of, of trying to get test devices, official ones in for the company so that we can, we can do that. But as far as for me personally, my daily driver phone, uh, we've got an iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch, um, the, f- it's, I'm pretty sure it's the first generation 12.9 inch. I think they only made one, is this right that they only made one generation of the 12.9 when it had the home There's, button? Or were there two of them? Yes. Least? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So then generation two was the edge to edge screen and then mm-hmm. generation three was the same thing, one but with, GPU. with the GPU and the, and the LiDAR camera. Um mm-hmm. And then maybe on the twentieth, which is what we're going to be talking about in a minute, uh, maybe we will get new ones. But um, so we have that. We have the we have like a twenty sixteen, no twenty seventeen. Whenever the first gen Pro iPad came out, I think we have it's one 7, of those twenty seventeen, yeah. Okay, um, and then we also have a, a iPad Mini fourth gen that I basically just used to watch YouTube videos uh, before I go to sleep. Um, and and of all the device, sort of all the devices in our house that that we could use for testing. That one is definitely the oldest and the slowest. In fact, I'm potentially looking. I'm hoping that they might update the mini in a few days, and I could, you know, trade either trade that one in or keep it around on purpose for for sort of older testing. Uh, But yeah, it's I I basically for daily use, I want like the newest and fastest one, Um, and and then because I generally trade them in or give them away, I don't end up with that that many test devices around. so yeah, that's that's definitely a bad habit on my part. I should be doing more like performance testing of the apps that I build. Uh, you know, not just on the latest and greatest stuff,
1: because not everybody's gonna have the latest and greatest device. How about you, Spencer? Yeah, I'm I'm basically the same. Um I the only iOS devices that I own myself are my iPhone and my second generation iPad Pro 12 inch. Um and then I have a couple iPads here for work. Um, but, um, one's the, the new iPad air. And then I I think the other one's a fifth generation iPad. So it's like from Mm. 2017 as well, not that old, but, um, right. Yeah. Uh, basically the same thing for me. Uh, unfortunately I, I need to do better at that. Everything that I'm doing personally, like all of my iOS apps aren't particularly demanding as far as I can tell. Um, I wish that you could just like uh, you have like the network lane conditioner. I, I wish you could on the simulators simulate have a
0: performance speed. conditioner. Yeah. yeah,
1: that would be really cool because Pret- pretend this is five years old now. Run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know, like yeah. uh, artificially downclock it or whatever, or, or the even whole on a real down-clock. device. <laughs> it would be cool. I think that would be like the a X worthy. slows uh,
0: down. <laughs> the clock well okay
1: (laughs) not not the whole thing just the device not my mac but But, yeah but you can see why that'd be
2: useful because the many like the many i have just it's just for watching youtube right and i also have like hulu and stuff yeah and even that like opening i can tell like opening the youtube app it takes a longer time than it really should
1: just you know you can tell that it's struggling so yeah just today someone at work was asking um if anyone had an iPad Air 2 because it sound I think that's like the lowest supported mm-hmm. the slowest iPad supported by iOS 14 so we were trying to see right. you know performance wise how it would work and i think that's a great thing i just yeah uh, you know again if i don't have a use for it i'm not going to keep it around um i wish i did but also you know i'd rather probably spend the money on a newer device or Right. On something else.
2: Plus then you got to so. keep them charged and sort of. Yes. And then you even, and then keeping even two
1: iPads charged is a pain.
2: And then even like, should you upgrade it to the latest OS or not? Like, you know, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, in theory, what you might want is like an iPad, uh, With let's older...
0: say it's iOS 13 still. Yeah.
2: yeah. And then maybe also the same model running 14. So you can see like, does it run better on one or the other? You know uh I mean it depending on how crazy you want to get like you can you can end up with not just not just older devices but like variants thereof, yeah, and that that can become an issue there There are services and stuff that you can supposedly subscribe to, I don't know how like non scammy they are, but that you can like deploy your app to physical devices that then they somehow like give you remote access to, oh. so that you can test them. Uh, I've seen services like this. I know they're very prevalent with Android. But you wouldn't be
0: I, able to tell performance at that point.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? Because like you're, mm-hmm. you're it's all through a network connection and stuff. So, at yeah, it, yeah.
0: Um, but one one thing that you can consider uh, is that older devices tend to get way cheap. The older they get, it's true. That's um, true. So like one anecdote is uh, when we got married, uh, my wife and I we wanted to do something similar to the breaking the glass. Uh, tradition Mm. but we are we are nerdy uh so we went on to ebay and we found uh, iphone 3gs's for four dollars uh they were defective in some condition and i was like i don't care i'm gonna stomp on these uh but turns out they'd like turned on fine the camera the microphone everything like worked i have no clue what part of this device was defective uh but it was four dollars um, and we were unable to smash or break them in any way. So, rock solid device. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Five stars, Apple. Uh, good nice. job, 10 years down line. Um, yeah. But <laughs> what I, the moral of that story is that you can totally find old devices, especially yeah. if you're trying to find the last supported device of the current generation OS or the previous right. generation OS. You can definitely find those uh, and not need to pay uh, too much of an arm and a leg. Uh, for them. So if you don't necessarily want to buy a new device every year, you want to buy a new device every two or three years, um, you can still like fill in those gaps if you need to down the line when you need them. Like ironically enough, my device collection uh, at this point, just like Ben said, I'm kind of like Santa at the end of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. My phone will go to someone in the family and their phone will kind of trickle down and then eventually Mm -hmm. they come back to me. Um, So Mm -hmm. I do have the tail end of that, which is good, but I never really make use of it. Um, and since my wife Lynn is also doing iOS development, she's kind of inherited all of that. So on her desk is a very nice display of all the old phones, one after the other, and their little docks all kept charged nice. because batteries, if you keep them charged, it last longer. Don't, don't mm-hmm. leave them in a drawer. The battery right. will, will die quickly that way. Um, but she has that all set up and that actually came in use, uh, when she was testing Notfa because, uh, she's really pushing SwiftUI in a lot of those Mm -hmm. scenarios, and that runs fine on a modern device. But on Mm -hmm. the older ones, things were a little slower. Uh, Like if you tap on something, you could wait up to a second for the screen to even realize the tap happened as SwiftUI was recomputing everything in the background. So Mm -hmm. that was actually a valuable thing to have around. Um, So if you can and you are doing iOS development, if you're doing something simple, you probably never need to think about it. Um, but if you are pushing anything in any way, it is useful to have that as just a quick test before you release. Um, just so that way, you know, that people may complain about certain aspects or you might need to warn them for others, uh, that things might be a little slower. They might not work as well in a smaller phone, a screen up until now, like the only small screens were the old ones. Uh, but now we get new, new small screen devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yay there. Um, though the simulator can kind of take care of a lot of those scenarios too. Um, but as Spencer said, it would be really nice to have a performance conditioner that you can turn on on a newer device. Uh, just to put it in the state that maybe the battery um, the battery throttling state, for instance. Just to right. kind of see how your uh, app would behave in that scenario. So I guess stuff to look forward to in future WWDCs, right? Uh, yeah. Because that's usually when those kind of features get released Um, so as Ben was alluding to uh, next as we record next week uh, is Apple's spring-loaded event Um, as this gets released hopefully we can get it released right before (laughs) the uh, spring-loaded event which is on Tuesday Um, and uh, since it's uh, a spring-related and since Tim Cook was talking about Apple cars during his most recent interview that means that Apple car smart suspension system is confirmed uh, am I understanding that right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good I think so, it yeah. So um, this is the event that we've all been waiting for, for AirTags to finally make their debut. Uh, they just recently unveiled uh, the public uh, API portion of that for uh, third-party companies to kind of integrate with uh, the Find My uh, system. Um, I, I assume both of you are looking forward to that.
1: I am personally um I, I think there will be you know the obvious uh apple tax on such devices um however if it's a first party device however um I've had a tile or actually now I have two tiles for the last about year or so and they are so nice. I have one on my wallet and one on my keychain because uh I will inevitably not do what they tell you to like put your your keys in one place. I never do that. Sometimes it's in my bedroom. Sometimes it's in my office, downstairs, whatever. Um, and so it's it's invaluable to me. I can't even tell you how many times I've spent 5, 10, 15 minutes looking for my keys or my <laughs> wallet. Um, so I, I'm stoked for that. Even if I'm not quite sure. I haven't kept up and uh, on specifically with this AirTags portion of this current event cycle. So you guys could enlighten me probably. But... If it's first party great, if not, if it's just better support within iOS, that's awesome too. Um yeah, either way I'll I'll be happy because that's something that I use pretty much on the daily. Yeah, I'm interested in AirTags. Um I am I so
2: I am also the kind of person that will instantly lose stuff like that if I don't sort of if I'm not careful about it and so a very long time ago I got a basically a wooden bowl to like hold keys and wallet and kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um And so now, except for those times where I stupidly don't follow my own like uh, pattern and and I don't put them in there uh, and they get lost, um, uh, except for those kinds of occasions, I'm pretty good about kind of keep tracking those kind of things. So I don't know if I have a huge need for Air Tags in my life, um, but I'm interested to kind of see what they what they um, what they announce. I think almost what might be more exciting is the is the idea that find my as a service is coming to third party uh, hardware so like I think it was is yeah. it Belkin I don't I don't re- I forget who it was but somebody has announced has announced these very AirPods like headphones a little case it and was they're going to th- they're shipping in June but they're going to support the find my system uh van van moot i think is what it's called it's a it's a like a swanky electric bike company um they're launching a new model of one of their electric bikes that supports find my um again launching in june uh so none of this stuff's launching right this second but i'm excited about that idea of course that only is going to be useful in so far as companies actually bother to adopt and be part yeah. of this program. So if it if it kind of, you know, goes nowhere, then that won't be that exciting. But but if enough sort of third parties get in, interested in it and want to include it, I think that'd be pretty cool to have uh all that stuff like in the Find My app um and and being able to track that stuff down. And I'm also really intrigued by uh I don't I'm not sure if this is currently true, but uh they've talked about how the Find My thing Will basically use. It sounds like it's using. I'm I'm going to grossly overgeneralize here because I have barely looked into it. But it sounds like it's using something that's extremely vaguely similar to the COVID uh, exposure notification program mm. that Google mm-hmm. and Apple yeah, built, that's correct. where they're kind of going to use like the fact that there's hundreds of millions of iOS devices out in the world. They're going to make it so that if you lose a set of AirPods or an iPhone or something, right? Um, maybe that doesn't have, I guess, good internet connectivity on its own, uh, either because it's been disabled, that part of it, or like in the case of AirPods, they just don't have their own cell radio, um, where people walking by can, the, can just through their proximity can sort of ping that device and then through like a very long proxy chain of, of, of contact from that location with that random person and that person's iPhone can eventually like make it all the way back to uh, to you through this find my network where you can be sort of notified where this thing is, even though you are not necessarily anywhere close to that item, you can still get notifications of where it might be uh, and they're doing it in a way that is supposedly uh, completely anonymous for the people in the people involved like in the mesh to help you find mm-hmm. it. Uh, and so you won't know about anybody who has sort of been near your device. You'll just sort of get this magic notification that oh, your device is in X place, and then you can in theory go get it uh, and recover it, which I think is a really cool and a really kind of a cool idea. Um, yeah. Uh, so again, for both Apple stuff and also hopefully for our growing collection of third-party devices, if that were that were the reality, that would be pretty cool, and that would certainly give uh you know give you kind of peace of mind on losing your stuff which is uh, much like you spencer i i wouldn't my i'd lose my head if it wasn't screwed on all the way right so like it's yeah uh, i <laughs> i lose stuff all the time um and i've and i've only kind of it's like we we're at home all the time and i have a place to put like the most important things and that's really the only thing keeping me from losing stuff <laughs> so yeah, for real so having having this service i think would be would be pretty cool
0: Uh, That's one of the biggest downsides of Tile, Um, in my opinion. It's that you have to have the Tile app and you have to launch it fairly often for it to stay kind of available. And you have to Mm -hmm. hope that other people do that too, uh, which I can guarantee in most cases is probably not uh, going to help you find your device. Um, So the fact that Apple can make use of its hundreds of millions of iOS devices, whether those are iPhones or iPads, Um, i think that is really going to change the playing field here uh, because it enables basically anyone that's driving by like forget about walking by if you're driving by and that device catches a ping uh, from Mm -hmm. your your uh, little tag there Mm -hmm. that is going to kind of propagate all the way back uh, to you but apple has gone further than just that like They were also thinking about what happens if someone puts this tag on your person uh, and you have no clue about it. If you have an iOS device, it's going to tell you if you've been traveling with one of these tags, hey, there's a tag that's kind of following you around. Uh, Mm -hmm. You might want to check your belongings. Someone might be following you. Um, Or alternatively, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, exactly. Literally. Um, And alternatively, uh, if you don't have an iOS device, the tag itself will beep. Um, as a safety precaution mm-hmm. so that way you will also know if if you're traveling with that tag that it is kind of following you around um and it's not like you're going to steal the tag right that the, right you stealing the tag would indicate where you are so it's not a a viable strategy so it's a kind of good thing as more of a preventative uh measure as well to kind of prevent people from uh from stealing these uh things especially when it's built into the bike right? You can, right. you can always mm-hmm. take the tag out of a backpack unless you sew right. it in. Um, but you can't really disassemble that part of the bike very easily, especially if it's an interconnected electrical bike, um, mm-hmm. electric bike. Uh, yeah. so I think that is a very interesting avenue that Apple's taking it. Of course they're trading in the, the secrecy of tracking your device, but I think that's, that's probably the right call with how our society has kind of gone in, um, in recent years um it's funny we always think about gps devices and like tracking uh and all of that as being something that's part of everyday life but up until now it's largely remained sci-fi like if you Mm want to track a car with a gps device the battery is this big and you lump it with a big magnet underneath the car and it doesn't last very long Mm -hmm. um so like the ability for others to track people up until now has not been very practical um, and this kind of technology will make it practical. So I think it's very important that Apple, uh, does think about, uh, those sorts of trade offs when they are kind of putting this mm-hmm. together. Uh, and other companies are probably not thinking about it to that extent. Like Samsung right. two weeks or three weeks ago also came out with their Samsung tile thing. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you they did not put an ounce of effort into thinking about those, uh, aspects. Right. They just wanted to be first to the market, uh, with right. ultra wide yeah. tracking technology. Right.
1: right. And this seems like a classic um, this is a classic Apple move right where they're late to the game tiles mm-hmm. been around for years and years and years but uh, they have much better implementations uh, in this case security wise but also these features that um, maybe people are using tiles to uh, like you said track people without their knowledge or whatever mm-hmm. is um, I don't know implementation-wise, like, not to fanboy here, but I'm going to fanboy because, (laughs) you know, it's... They're thinking about edge cases that matter on not just a level of the average user, but also, you know, how could this actually be abused and how can we try to prevent that? And that's, to me, that's, you know, why I enjoy Apple products and I pay the Apple tax to have these things so that uh, my phone isn't just running random software tracking me all the time it's mm-hmm. it's built into the os that it can't do that unless apple's the one doing it in which case okay i trust them on a on a deeper level than some random you know some random company so uh i'm i'm excited for air tags um if if all of these rumors are true and the, this speculation about sort of the software side i think it's gonna be great
2: If only they would be that thoughtful about like nefarious scans in the app store
1: we would all be Oh yeah, that's true. Good point. So
0: I, I no. think we'll save that topic for next episode because that <laughs> that is a huge can of worms. There is uh,
1: a limit to their benevolence, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, there you go.
0: It's I, I don't think I'm I'm a fanboy in that regard uh, at yeah, all. <laughs> no. Um, I just hope the air tags, going back to the topic here, uh, are not too big. Um, my primary mm-hmm. hope to use them is to attach them to my cats because they're uh, indoor cats, and we are kind of terrified of them kind of escaping chasing after something uh, Mm. and then being lost i mean people drive at insane speeds on the roads they have never seen a car before uh and it's it's a wild wild west out there so uh we we hope that we can kind of use this as just a a level of insurance that might help us find them if something uh, happens because they'd be clueless uh, as much as they are uh, kind of prepped for wildlife uh, they they have not lived that life, so uh, it would be unfortunate for them uh, to find themselves in that situation. Um, in terms of other devices, Ben, you are looking forward to new iPad minis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of features are you hoping that this hypothetical iPad mini has? Uh, well, basically able to handle, uh,
2: watching YouTube on it. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> my, that's, my, that's a hard ask. My As needs are YouTube pretty low. coprocessor. Uh, yeah, YouTube coprocessor. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically, you know, it, uh, really I just would like to replace the, what is now fairly aging, uh, iPad mini that I've been using with one that, uh, just is you know, snappier and, and, and I pretty much don't use that iPad for anything else. I got rid of i had an ipad pro second gen uh twelve point nine with the keyboard and everything that I liked and i used it i just i found it to have somewhat diminishing uh sort of day to day use and so I ended up uh getting rid of it i sold it um, uh so all i as far as like other than my phone um I have my iMac which I use for work and you know most kind of serious computing. I've got my uh MacBook Air m 1 MacBook Air which I bought uh for uh portable work if if I needed to sort of you know be on the move and, and get some work done um in particular it was when we were we were uh looking at um houses and trying to move and stuff I was worried about us potentially being in an extended period where we kind of everything was packed which included my iMac and like I needed to get work done uh so uh that was a somewhat thinly veiled excuse to get him. <laughs> <Okay>. but, <laughs> whatever works. But whatever works, right? Uh, I really like that. Um, but so basically, my only other computer besides that is this little iPad Mini, and I don't really use it for anything but watching YouTube at night because it is so slow and you know just generally not a great like general purpose machine. Um, so for me, uh, if they come out with, I've heard rumors that they might be coming out with a, this is probably a pipe dream, but like an iPad Mini Pro kind of. Basically, mm-hmm. taking the best ideas from the current iPad Pro line, which also now includes the Air as far as the design, like the edge-to-edge screen, the the Face ID rather than Touch ID, no home button, um, potentially I, I want to say the fifth gen mini, which is currently for sale, uh, does have pencil support, but it's Gen One pencil support, so mm-hmm. maybe they bring the gen, <laughs> gen two pencil support and they give the little magnetic thing on the side and whatever. Um, and if that were the case, I do feel like I'd probably use it from, you know, and it was obviously snappier, but more speedy. I would probably use it for more than just watching videos. I would, you know, probably kind of go back to using it as a, uh, you know, you, having an iPad in my life, basically, um, reading, stuff like that. Uh, and I actually, I, I'm kind of ex, I'm excited about that in particular because uh, while I did really enjoy my giant 12.9-inch iPad Pro, uh, it was huge. And... Despite being much lighter than the previous iPad Pro that it replaced, still a pretty heavy device, um, and especially if you had the keyboard and stuff onto it, 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 it's not a, not something you're just gonna kind of fling around. It's it's it was pretty hefty. So and and just physically large, which in some applications is really handy. And if you're just trying to read something or whatever, you're trying to be more casual, like on the couch, it can kind of be a little bit of a burden that it's that big. So uh, I've never used an iPad Mini. Um, as a general-purpose iPad, I originally bought this Mini to use with my uh, my drone as a as like basically a video device for flying the drone. Um, so I've just I've never I've never used a Mini as a general-purpose iPad. So if this comes if it if this rumor that I've you know we've heard is true and they basically do like a a refreshed iPad Mini edge-to-edge base ID pencil support uh, that kind of thing like essentially kind of turn it into like the the mini the you know the, the new mini iPhone right like it's got essentially everything it's just smaller physically in size, um, I'd be pretty excited about that to use not just as an upgrade but also to maybe sort of reintegrate the iPad into my daily workflow uh, and and use that for for a variety of things and kind of see test out that form factor of size and and see if it might be you know more useful than my phone. For those occasions, that's, see, that's the biggest problem with the iPad is like, I have my phone in my pocket 20, you know, not 20 hours a day, but like, when, basically, whenever I'm awake, my phone is either in my pocket or near me, and, of you know, within arm's reach. Um, and it is so incredibly useful. Uh, you know, people say it's kind of like your second brain. It's so incredibly useful to me in my day to day use that, like, in order to sort of supplant that you have to bring something either very seriously better or at least different enough in the use case to kind of have me take the phone out of my hands and replace it with something else, right? And that's always been like my biggest con- like issue with the iPad is that uh, it until recently, it hasn't been differentiated enough from the phones. Like, why would I do that on just what is essentially just a bigger screen when it's actually usually more convenient to do it on my phone? Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of been my hang up with the iPad, um, is that it's like really cool and different, but like inconvenient in enough ways that I'll just bring my phone with me instead, right? Because I, I can do it on my phone too. And it's not this big thing that I have to look around.
0: I would say that's almost the downside of the iPad mini. It's too close to yeah. the phone. So yeah. the bigger screen of the 11 inch, which I think is a kind of a sweet spot there where it's not mm-hmm. too big and not too small. Yeah. Um, kind of gives the iPad more utility uh, right. in that regard. That said, Apple has also kind of been neglecting the iPad just as much as they've been yeah. neglecting the Mac ever since ever. Uh, so um, it, there is so much more potential to yeah. these devices. Uh, for instance, I use my iPad pro this supposedly pro device uh, to read at night like it's Mm -hmm. it's my reading device (laughs) um i do other things on it like i do research i uh, check my email and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um and it serves as a second screen in many cases but Mm -hmm. i don't really use the processing power of the ipad very much um and it's mostly just the fact that it is a portable large-ish screen device that's not too big and too Mm -hmm. crazy which the 12.9 inch one definitely feels like it Mm -hmm. um i think that's that's where its utility comes from i would love to see apple think about like more utilities for the ipad for instance Mm -hmm. i would love to use the ipad as a terminal to all my various macs which Mm -hmm. may be in a different room when i'm in bed like the Mm -hmm. ipad is a nice small device i would love to Mm -hmm. use that to access the stuff that is on my macs you can do that but it's a pain like there's no integrated story there Or you can just tap a button and then you just see your Mac screen and you can have full control over that. You have screen sharing, but screen sharing is sluggish. It's not very smooth. You have um, the sidecar, but the sidecar is something you initiate from the Mac. It's not even from uh, the iPad. So that's fast, but the opposite. You have things like Luna Display, but that's to add uh, a display to a Mac, not to replace its current one. So there's like we are almost there for those kinds of use cases. And I feel like that would be so useful um, in many cases. I we have handoff and stuff like that, but if your software that you use (coughs) Xcode um, (laughs) is not there or like a full version of something that you're using, then it's not really going to be super useful uh, to you there. So um, instead of like a more powerful iPad, I think Apple really needs to think about those kinds of use cases or those kinds of stories. Like what can the iPad really Excel at um, and concentrate on those? Um, But like next week is a new device day. So we're going to get new devices and they're going to be faster and that's going to be more useful in the future uh, when that becomes the baseline. Um, So it is good that progress is marching forward. I just hope Apple kind of sees the, the utility in their own devices and kind of, optimizes for that rather than just giving a refresh that I don't think is truly needed, right? I mean, iPad Air 2, 2, that's an ancient device. It still runs iOS 14. So it it was more than capable back then uh, to meet the baseline for now's technology. Um, And of course, it's probably going to be next on the cutting board uh, for iOS 15. But I would like to see them not only push the performance, but push the utility, of right. the iPad because I would love to use it more. It's just, I can't like just not possible.
1: Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that exact reason. The utility was the exact reason why, um, I wanted to sell my first generation, uh, iPad pro because I didn't really use it. I mean, I bought it cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to do a bunch of <laughs> drawing and I'm going to use affinity photo with my iPad or you know, my Apple pencil and all that. And then uh, I never wanted to cause it was more convenient to do on my Mac and right. I didn't really ever end up trying anything. Um, and then when they actually added first party support for mouse and, and, keyboard, well, they, they had the keyboard, but you know, uh, keyboard support and they, they came out with the magic keyboard and everything. And I was like, okay, that's where the, the utility game is Nothing. stepped up for me. And so I sold my first generation, bought a second generation, um, and I use it a ton more now just because it is essentially a computer, uh, like they claim. Um, you know, that said, I I absolutely agree with you, Dimitri. I don't think it needs to be any faster. I have, you know, one that's a few generations old, but it, you know, is just fine for anything I throw at it. I'll render movies on LumaFusion just fine and it works great. Um, yeah, I think they're. It just they could satisfy developers so easily if they just added you know an, an extension of xcode where even if it rendered on your computer that was on in the other room or something but you could actually write code and run the simulator or something i don't know that would be awesome i would love to be able to just sit in bed and you know use use my ipad or whatever um but then uh now we have the m1 <laughs> you know uh mm-hmm. macbook errors that are it it's so close to my uh, iPad now that that utility has dropped uh, significantly. Where I just prefer macOS because it's the same size screen and it doesn't you know tip over in my <laughs> if I'm sitting it on my lap or anything. So yeah. for me, I agree. I don't I don't need a new iPad Air uh, or an iPad Pro. I just would love another reason to keep it around because at this point, I'm honestly thinking about selling it. 'Cause I just I don't use it enough now with my my new MacBook Air. So
2: one example of something that I definitely became a complete convert on as far as like this is better on iOS than it was when I was doing it on the Mac is I don't edit this podcast. That's Spencer's job, but uh, but I I edited the podcast I was that I have from before. Um, and for a long time I was looking for good software to do that with. Uh, and I ended up buying Logic, which is Apple's sort of professional, like, DAW, um, and using that. And it's fine. It's a fine piece of software. It's very it's, it's extremely advanced. It does a million things, most of which I don't use. Uh, the downside is that because it's professional software, it's almost impossible to learn how to use just by, like, going in and looking at it because it's so complicated. Um, so it took a while for me to get even kind of remotely productive in it. Um, and then even when I did feel like I was reasonably productive, it was still like, you know, sort of, I was like, I felt moderately productive at best, basically. Um, and I, uh, at one point I heard good things about um, Ferrite, which is an audio editing program for iOS and, and really shines on the iPad. Um, and so I tri- I bought it, I tried it out, and I hated it because I didn't know how it worked either. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't super, also wasn't super obvious. Um, and so I was like, well, this really isn't any better. And I just spent $25 to upgrade to pro on this to like to really use it. And, and I, I kind of hate it and whatever. And then um, Jason Snell, who runs the Six Colors blog, he's a big podcaster and has used all kinds of software. He actually did like a video, sort of, not really a tutorial, but just kind of an explanation of his workflow. And it ended up being un, sort of close enough to, to a tutorial that you could use it to kind of learn. And so he showed how he used Ferrite to edit podcasts and in particular how he used the combination of, of uh, touch with his fingers and the pencil, which you can configure in Ferrite to do different things, um, really sped up his workflow. And so when I watched the video, I was like, oh, that's how you use it. For one thing, I like, learned how to use Ferrite, <laughs> but also I specifically kind of learned that, that workflow of him uh, using the pencil and, his, and touch. Um, multi-touch to, to get things done and so I tried it out. I, I loaded up the raw files for the podcast and I started editing it and I noticed that I was significantly faster and more efficient at editing the podcast and it's because uh, basically, if you've never edited a podcast before, it's mostly you line everything up, you start listening and then where there are places where either uh, there are noises, there's overtalk, there's any kind of you know suboptimal audio, right? you cut out random noises, you split Things apart, so that people don't aren't talking over each other, that kind of thing. So it's a lot of like manipulating small little pieces of audio, and it turns out using the pencil and and touch to do that, um, I can play the the audio, and when I see little snippets of of audio that I don't want, you can actually just take the pencil and you can drag it backwards over that audio clip, and it deletes it from the timeline. So it, you end up. Uh, what i found is i ended up being able to use a combination of the pencil for some actions multitouch for others and i could actually go through the podcast and edit it you essentially have to listen to it and sort of fix things as you go and i found that i was like eh, 1.5 to 2x maybe even 2.5x on editing a podcast compared to how long it took to record it so if it was an hour podcast it would take between two and two and a half hours for me to edit it um because you have to like back up and whatever. And I found that I was more like 1.5 X at the outside compared. So maybe even better um, editing with ferrites because I got to spend more time just letting it play and, and, and listening and then quickly making edits here and there with the pencil as I went and there was less stopping. And so that that's a concrete example of like changing the modality of how you interact with the software changed how I, the workflow of what i needed to do to to get this work done and and get a finished product Um, and it significantly increased my efficiency and i went from this is kind of an interesting idea but i don't know if i'll ever actually want to do this To oh i don't even open logic anymore i always i don't edit anymore but when i did i was like i'm i'm using ferret every time because not only is it uh, is it better, but also it's just, you know, the iPad is super convenient. Like I can just mm-hmm. fold it up and bring it with me in the car or whatever, like, and I can kind of get stuff done in little bits and pieces, right? And then you have the whole idea of like instant on and a lot of the things that we're now very much appreciating with the M1 Mac, You have you have had all of those things with the iPad forever. And so that was, while I'm not totally convinced on iPad as a general use computer replacement in my, you know, in every part of my life, in that example, it's like, oh, I totally understand why people who are on this train and who have been able to switch, right? Like Feder- Federico Vitici famously is full blown iOS all the time, doesn't even own a Mac anymore. Like he's just all in on the iPad. In fact, I think he owns two of them, so he can have like two screens at once. And, you know, he's really kind of gone all in on the iPad lifestyle. And for him as a writer and an editor and a creator of mostly, you know, written content works great for him. And that's fantastic. Um, and so I always kind of appreciated that in general, but I kind of got it as, like, why you would be so excited about it. Because once I realized that, for me, Ferrite was actually a better choice for this particular workflow, it's like, oh, wow. If if only that were true for more for more workflows in my life i can totally see how you would just like gradually just migrate more and more and more to the ipad till pretty soon that's what that's all you need to get all your work done it's just you know for us as developers for ios developers in particular it's just not let's say it's not it's at best not practical to do any serious work on the ipad in that way and and sort of at at its worst essentially impossible to do so um so you know, I, I think I'm basically in the same sort of boat that you are, Spencer. That like, I want, I want to have more of a reason to use it. Yeah. And in, and in that in that story I just told, like it, I got to see sort of firsthand when it works. It works really well, and it's really exciting. Uh, but I just for us in our lives, I feel like we're just not we're not quite at the point yet where where we can do that with more of uh, of what we need to get done in our daily life. So. Xcode on iOS. Come on, Apple, you can do it. Announce it at WW this year. You know you want to.
0: <laughs> the thing is, I don't even think like Xcode on iOS would fix it because when you're developing, you don't just have Xcode open. Yeah, you have Xcode, the true. simulator, 17 Safari windows of research. <laughs> like, there's so much going on to kind of assemble everything for doing development. It's not just right. sitting down and writing code in isolation. Where can you the iPad run an XDR really, off an iPad? Is that a thing? You can, but it doesn't. It doesn't like give you okay. any extra abilities. It's just a zoomed-in version you're looking at on the iPad. Okay, which is all right. Well, silly. Yeah. Um, but there, like, the iPad is such a good excuse to do one thing, but do it amazingly great. And I think yes. that's the part that Apple really needs to concentrate on. If you're going to have an app for the iPad it needs to be a better app than anything it could have been on the Mac because you Mm -hmm. are taking over the entire device Mm -hmm. and that adds so much opportunity. Like you said, Ben, where you can use multi-touch and the pencil at the same time. Mm -hmm. You have two independent input methods Mm -hmm. that are fighting for for interaction time, Mm -hmm. but the app can embrace that and Mm -hmm. really make a smooth uh, editing opportunity through that. Mm-hmm. And I think if there are more stories like that That's where the iPad can really excel If you're writing, you don't want the distraction of everything else Right. You yeah. just want to focus on that And that's why it works so well for mm-hmm. writers If you're right. drawing, same thing You might at most have like a reference up But mm-hmm. you can grab a second screen to do that Or you can put that on your TV Or have it on slide over uh, for the iPad And then the iPad as a drawing instrument Is the best digital drawing instrument There's nothing mm-hmm. yeah. else that comes close So, if you're an artist, that story is there for you. But if if you need to do anything that requires having many things open, you're dead in the water. Like, that's where the iPad falls apart. And that's where so many of us developers, we kind of find ourselves because doing development is not just something that you do in isolation. You are testing, you're researching, you're finding answers to problems and uh, weighing these pros and cons constantly. Um, Not to mention designing. Like There's so many aspects that you're just kind of going in a loop uh, when you're doing development that I don't think the iPad is really ever going to solve unless it's something that you can connect to a computer, or not to a computer, to a big screen, and then have multiple things up at once, but that's essentially a Mac uh, at that point. So Apple can take it in that direction. They can take it in the direction that it becomes a console for a Mac in a different room. I would love Mm -hmm. that. That would solve all my issues. Um, I don't need a powerful iPad for that, though, so sorry, Apple, it's not, like, a Pro is not going to be the thing that solves that for me. Uh, Maybe an iPad is the souped-up version of an iPhone's camera system. Like, you have an opportunity, you have tons of space in this thing. The, The board is, like, this big. It's the same board as in an iPhone, it's on an iPad, the rest of it's battery- you can put a better lens system. You can put a better camera on that. That can be your camera story where you can let people have a dinky little iPhone. And if they want to take really good pictures, they can pull out their iPad with a stupid big viewfinder, but it can also have a stupid large uh, megapixel count and you can get crazy good detail on that. Like there's so many opportunities there um, that I. it really does feel like Apple's not really thinking about it. Um, yeah. And it's kind of sad that like it just takes an hour of us brainstorming uh, and we can <laughs> yeah. kind of think of all these different right. potentials for it that are in within the realm of possibility. It's not even so yeah. technologically advanced that we need to wait 10 years to see this kind of stuff. I got the yeah. solution. You just need four iPads,
2: right? So you have one for the development and then you have like one for your many tabs of Safari. You have one for <laughs> your simulator. And the best part is... To call back to our previous topic, you keep like the latest iPad, and then you keep the the pre- three previous generations of iPads for all your auxiliary devices. And now so you're, you're doing get both the things. slower
0: and slower task goes on the slower and slower device.
2: Right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So you, you've got your old devices for testing, and you also have lots of screen real estate to get your get your work done.
0: Easy. <laughs> that Easy. reminds yes. me uh when we got our first generation ipads like the very first one my mm. i got one and my mom got one we both got those old folio cases um, uh. and you can slip one folio case into the other and oh. turn into like a book where you have an ipad on each side and i'm like look multitasking <laughs> nice. because that wasn't a thing back then <laughs> yeah. nice and joking that's aside awesome. like that's that's really what you need is two screens yeah. Yeah. but they need to communicate like you can't right. have two screens in isolation And it seems like Apple is totally for having these devices used in isolation. Like, if you have three computers, it's a nightmare. You don't even want to do development on more than one of those because that's not where your stuff is. Um, Like, having a stupid console screen. That's all I want. A dumb terminal is better because you can access the one device that has everything that you need it to. Rather than try to hope that iCloud and stuff like that is going to... Uh, get better it's probably not going to get better significantly enough for you to be able to pull off stuff like that especially for like video editing like just syncing that is a nightmare um even audio is is a significant task if you have big audio files that you need to wait for them to appear on the ipad if you want to start editing them there um like all of those are friction points and that's kind of a shame
1: yep moral of the story the ipad is the awkward middle child (laughs) <laughs> that's that's what it is it's just yeah i don't know
0: it's it's waiting for puberty to hit right yeah um so on that topic final things as far as what could be announced as far as what we know of from rumors i mean apple could pull out something we weren't expecting out of midair, of course true um but the last thing that they could possibly announce is new Max. Do you think we're going to get new Max at this event? Are we going to have to wait until WWDT? Are my three Pro Display XRs that I ordered going to just sit in the corner of a room? Um, totally didn't order three Pro Display XRs. Um, like, but yikes. what I was what, is gonna, <laughs> what is the through your wallet there. What is what do you think is Apple's plan with new Max uh, for this event?
1: Yeah, I think I don't know. I mean, going off of the. Uh, I guess global situation. It sounds like everyone, including Apple, is being affected. Well, we know everyone, but Apple even is being affected by the chip shortage. And so, I, I could go both ways. Where I can definitely see them saying, "Hey, we've got a new iMac. It has just an M1, nothing new. It's just a straight M1." Um, I can also see them waiting till maybe something like Dub Dub to announce something like they did with the Mac Pro.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I have a feeling that, they're, that I'm, you know, especially since this episode probably will come out maybe just before or just after that event. Uh, I am probably wrong, but uh, I have a feeling they're not going to talk about Max at this event. I bet you it's probably going to be uh, the Find My Stuff. So whether that includes actually launching AirTags or not, um, and then uh, the new iPads, I think those are pretty, pretty solidly locks. Uh, on what they're going to talk about, but I, I actually have a feeling that they're that they're not going to announce new Macs, and that if they were, I mean, in particular, if they were to announce an M1 Mac, uh, uh, sorry, iMac, that they probably would do that at Dub Dub. Is kind of my my thinking on that is that they would that they would hold that for that, um, mm. because they traditionally don't even really announce hardware at, at Dub Dub at all usually. Um, it's it's a little bit rare for them to do that. They, was it the Mac Pro? Was that last mm-hmm. year or the year before they announced at DubDub? Dub? Dub? Um, yeah, so stuff like that. But that's kind of an exception. They don't you know they don't normally do that. Um, but in this case, an M1 Mac, an M1 iMac would be an excellent development machine. So uh, I could see them uh, potential M1 or even M1 X, you know, like slightly faster version of the the M1 chip as a development machine. I think could be could be great. So I suspect that they won't say anything about uh, imax plus they have generally been much less about um jamming stuff in so they want they have a narrative they want to get across in these events especially since they are now they're not live anymore they're now like fully pre-recorded and you know we're not like we're we're watching something that was recorded potentially that's probably already been recorded at this point it's probably already been recorded Mm -hmm. and edited and is ready to go um they typically don't like to uh, put things in there that don't belong, meaning like just sort of pushing things together and announcing them all at once. Uh, they, they've they more recently been doing stuff where they announce things when they're ready, more or less, and, and that they will just have multiple either multiple events or they'll just issue things with press releases or whatever um, rather than feel like, well, this is our one chance, so we're going to take the next hour and a half on the stage to like, cram everything in here and, and, and right. announce everything all at once. They haven't been doing that recently. So, um, And to me, if you're going to have an, a Find My slash AirTags sort of event that also includes new iPads, tacking an M1 Mac, iMac onto the end of that feels like it's an also-ran. Um, so it's a one more thing. Uh, it's a one more thing, which they don't really do anymore. <laughs> So uh, yeah, so I I I feel like it's probably gonna that we probably get nothing on the on the Mac front, and I'm also kind of suspecting that we won't get a new Mac or a new iPad Mini. Like even though I want one, I I would actually I feel like they probably uh, unless they unless they do an iPad Mini Pro, like people have been rumored that they might be doing, um, I would bet they'll probably just skip the the Mini altogether and just release. Like a new 11 and a new 13-inch
1: uh, iPad Pro and call it a day. So, prepare. I, I guess I'm prepared to be totally wrong on all of that, but that's just my. I don't my know. Thought. It's it's been a couple of years since they updated the iPad Mini. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: uh, now's the time. It remains a part be of their know. lineup, right? <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean they didn't, you know, ax it like they did the HomePod or
2: anything. Yeah. Yep. And they did Revit, you <laughs> yeah. know, with with the most recent one they, they did the fifth gen, they did add pencil support, they added a yeah. new chip, like they did you know, they they did some work to 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 freshen it up, so they certainly can just do the same thing. I mean, I can't imagine that switching it to like an all screen face ID pencil two support is that difficult. Like
1: I mean you basically it, take the same body and just put the new screen on it. It would be really weird to me so. for them to have all of the iPads with kind of the full screen, except for the and uh, then the, the mini is just that mini. one. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's
1: <laughs> different. Yeah, it's true.
2: Yeah, although they still sell the don't, the SE. The, well, don't, don't they sell one that's just called the iPad that is a? Yeah, it's like the nine, oh, that's true. Is, is that, that a nine education. point eight or the ten and
1: a half inch? And yeah, it's like home home button and all that. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> As yeah. the, the maybe they update phone. that too. Yeah, I don't know. Does but this, then I guess there's no difference between the Air.
2: Or they do a new Air, and then the old Air becomes, like, yeah, it's the, it takes the slot of, like, the entry-level. three. Is it, what, 329, I think, is, like, the entry-level iPad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, do, uh, Dimitri? Do,
0: does this mean that Keynotes can leak since they're all pre-recorded? Oh, that would be crazy.
2: Oh, like the actual video could leak? Yeah. That I mean, would yeah. be insane. Like the announcement
0: uh, leaked on Siri. <laughs> yeah. So you can only <laughs> yeah, imagine that yeah. they're setting up their CDN for... For oh, the video, that, that, that kind would. of gets out a, a day earlier than it's supposed to. Oh, can yeah. you imagine? That would be a bad look for Apple's encryption if they're like,
1: oh, shoot, someone got a hold of our <laughs> key." Well, it's not
0: encrypted, right? It's just it needs to be somewhere for people to start watching it. Yeah. Well, hopefully. It, well, it's before it's
1: supposed to be released, it should hopefully be encrypted and stored somewhere well, safe. Yeah, stored You'd somewhere, hope. Safe, somewhere safe. Yeah.
2: So. That'd be bad. That'd be definitely a bad On look On a floppy for, disk. On
0: <laughs> floppy disk. Well, that's how you um, save it right Fourteen thousand floppy disks
1: <laughs> yeah that's true that would be a lot of floppies burn a blu-ray disc or something i don't there know uh,
0: one per quarter screen <laughs> can you get a whole frame on it <laughs> yeah, i wonder so, how
2: i wonder how many frames of 4k video you could fit on a floppy disk i think i bet you're right that not probably one one not even one of one frame yeah
1: yeah yeah definitely not one how how what was the largest size of a floppy disk 1.4 megabytes yeah definitely not even one
0: Uh, you could actually you could probably fit a a few frames in 1.4 megabytes depends how many megabits per second right if it's a 10 megabit per second thing then yeah divide by eight a little quick math so 1.25 megabytes per second so you can get a second of footage in one point twenty five megabytes. Oh, okay. So, yay! Yeah, you might get be able to get a few frames per floppy. So.
1: That would be fun, just you know, interchanging them over and over, waiting <laughs> for <laughs> it <laughs> to load.
2: So, if get it's in the an second bay. Event, bay,
1: That's thirty six hundred floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, there we go. Gotta have a p- we- dedicated person at those two bays, popping them in and out. <laughs> <laughs> as yeah, as one finishes, get the next one ready. <laughs> Let's
1: make this a reality. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) For those who don't know, that was an actual thing. Like when you're running (laughs) software, you would have to put one disk in and then your software would tell you, okay, please eject this disk and put the other disk in to save. Because you couldn't save. The computer didn't have anything on it. You you saved to a disk that didn't have your software on it because your software took up that whole disk. So that was totally a thing uh to swap out discs so we're only half choking we'd have someone kind of swap discs out uh but that is thankfully not a thing anymore but yeah oh be boy. happy that
2: we live in an era where that is no longer required <laughs> for real
0: okay uh so moving off of our topics this week this week's episode is brought to you by swiftly built and their advanced data display course Come learn about collection views, generic diffable data sources, compositional layouts, and local notifications, and a brand new course by our very own Ben Golke. During the month of May, Ben will be teaching an immersive course with live instruction where you'll learn all about collection views, protocol-oriented programming, dynamic data sets, advanced layout techniques, and the iOS notification system. The course will be taught with practice material focused on the topics discussed, and the month will culminate in a capstone project where you'll put all these new skills into practice in a week-long final app. Tickets are available now on Eventbrite, uh, linked in the show notes, or search for Swiftly Built on Eventbrite.com. The course starts on May 1st, so don't wait to sign up. Ben, anything you want to add? Just that it's a a live talk course. I'm going to be teaching it
2: um, throughout the month of May, and we're going to do both lessons and also uh, Q&As and stuff, so there'll be plenty of time not just to learn the material but also to work with me and your fellow students to kind of help solidify that content. Um, Lots of really hands-on stuff. We're gonna be building apps basically the whole time. Um, And so uh, if you want uh, lots of sort of great hands-on experience with building a a variety of apps, um, sort of app examples to showcase different things, then check out the course.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a rare thing nowadays to get hands-on experience uh, where you have the instructor actually helping you. It's not pre-recorded. Uh, ben yeah. is going to be there, and you can use him to ask questions uh, and have him guide you through uh, the whole process. So I would say this is more of an intermediate iOS level. Yeah. Or okay. I think that's fair. I mean, basically, if you know how to, if you know your way around
2: Xcode and you've built maybe a few apps from tutorials or whatever, I think that's probably enough. But uh, you don't. It's it's probably not a great idea if you are. Uh, if you you know want to build apps, but you've never opened Xcode before, that's that's a that's I would say a pretty novice level, and and probably something that you might get kind of lost with uh, as we jump in. But if you've uh, built a few apps um, through not, not necessarily your own apps, but even if you just kind of gone through tutorials and you you understand the basic structure of uh, of the app lifecycle and also of Swift, then I think this is a, a great way to kind of level up your skills to the next uh, the next level by by hanging out and Checking out all these cool things. We're going to be talking about things that are um, pretty new. So, difficult data sources, compositional layouts, those kinds of ideas are have only been around since I th- I want to say ww 2019. So they've we've only really had two years to even have them be public, um, and they're not widely uh, adopted yet. So if you were to come and learn these things, not only would you is it tons of fun, but also you would have I think a pretty uh, marketable skill in that way that you you know something that lots of other people don't, and so that makes you even kind of stand out more.
0: Awesome! So thank you so much to Ben and Swiftly Built and the course on advanced data display for sponsoring Code Completion. So uh, that leaves us uh, with Compiler Error, uh, my favorite segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, And uh, today we have a theme, and that is HDR video. Uh, So let's go through these one at a time. So statement number one, high dynamic range video expands on standard dynamic range video, which is HDR and SDR, by increasing not only the luminance, but also the bit depth and color volume. Statement number two, standard dynamic range video is defined according to a maximum luminance of 100 nits, limited by the capabilities of CRT-based display technology. Statement number three, the Ultra HD Alliance defines a display as being HDR capable only if it is able to reach a limited peak brightness of at least 1,000 nits. And statement number four, an HDR display is capable of displaying content mastered for any maximum brightness thanks to a technique called tone mapping. So uh let's go ahead and start with spencer
1: (laughs) awesome good luck (laughs) yeah i know right all of these are i don't know a ton about hdr um so it definitely uh expands on the standard dynamic range uh by increasing the luminance however i don't know about bit depth because you could have like hdr 10 bit you could probably have hdr or eight maybe not eight bit actually i don't know is there 12-bit video he's not going mm. to be you. relieved <laughs> to be
0: revealed <laughs> post uh compilation <laughs> okay okay
1: um i don't even know what
0: color volume means <laughs> um
1: i'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll pause on that one uh, sdr sounds like it would be about 100 nits based on a crt um ish. I don't know. Uh, Number three, this is where like the certifications are weird because you've got like true HDR, which I think is like a a peak brightness of a thousand nits, but then you have like HDR 400 and 600 and I think 800 or something like that. So uh, I can see that being true, but like kind of depends on how you spin it. Um, If it means like true HDR certification then yeah. Um, as capable of displaying content mastered for any maximum brightness. I don't really think, I, I'm gonna kinda, I think I wanna go with number four because if you ever watch any HDR content on like a display that has a lower peak brightness or something, it doesn't look good. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with number four. I'm not really confident in this one at all though.
0: Something, for somebody, somebody who doesn't works know on a video well. app. <laughs> yeah. For somebody, somebody well, who
2: claims to not know much about HDR, that was a lot of HDR knowledge you just dropped.
1: <laughs> thanks, I guess.
2: I didn't even know they were different standards. Like, that's, yeah. Um, ben. For me, uh, I feel like number one is correct. I, I agree that I don't know what color volume means, but I have heard of bit depth. And I do think that there is more to HDR than just luminance. So I'm going to go with one being true totally believe the idea that 100 nits uh, was the maximum brightness you could get out of a crt display and therefore that was the kind of the that's where they pegged the standard originally and then we've gone beyond that um number three sounds plot that the problem is they all sound plausible uh yeah this, (laughs) this one feels really tough number three sounds plausible uh in that it's only that basically maybe there are other standards where people are more lax, but the Ultra HD Alliance is a is a nitpicky group that is like, no no, you gotta have a thousand nits or better to be considered HDR capable, as per our certification. Uh that sounds plausible. I would tend to agree with you, Spencer, but I for some reason, rattling around in my head, I feel like I've heard the term tome mapping before. <laughs>
1: So No, for sure. Uh, in
2: particular, on Accidental Tech Podcast, whenever John Syracuse gets started on all this kind of stuff, he knows lots about a lot about a lot of things. Um, and uh, I, for some reason, I feel like I can hear him saying those words in my head from some previous episode of that show. But I could be making that up. That could be a false memory. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. But it sounds like I'm pretty sure I've heard that before. So that's what makes me think that maybe that is true but then the problem is like well which one is false i yeah i don't know i'm just gonna solidarity i'm gonna go with number four oh. mostly just because oh. that's what you picked uh okay and we'll just we'll just go from there I, who knows okay. go down with the ship together all i right. was right Let's last time and i'm right like every eighth time so this is probably
0: <laughs> not we, we don't have good odds here but just go with it no Okay, so let's start with number one and lead up to that final oh, okay, little <laughs> okay. little. You
1: highlighted four, and I was like, "Oh no!" Uh, well, uh, right.
0: I'm using Sketch to do this whole thing, so I need to unhide the layer just to just to see it. Oh, right? you're good. You're good. <laughs> like
1: like
2: any good reality show host, he's going to make us wait through several more commercial breaks before we can.
0: Find Perfect. That. Got to milk sponsor. the audience. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks so much to our sponsor this week. For <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, okay, so high dynamic range video expands on standard dynamic range by increasing not only the luminance, but also the bit depth and color volume. So luminance, uh, as you might guess, is the brightness, right? Uh, bit depth is how many colors you have between zero and one. Um, so if you have eight bits, then you can divide that by eight. No, I'm just kidding. You divide it by two to the power of eight. <laughs> Uh, which means that you have 256 gradations, basically. Um, If you have 10-bit, then you can have uh, 1,024 gradations. Um, So the bit depth depends on how many bits you have to describe how many uh, levels you have. Uh, Spencer, you were asking, can you have 12-bit video? Totally. ProRes can go up to 16-bit. So it just depends how much you want to flood the wire sending to the display, Um, but... SDI video which is the cable that they use on set to grab raw footage that will typically use the full amount of bit depth that is available for the camera to send um, out and I believe it goes up to 16 bits uh, for practicality that's like 65,000 levels I believe if I'm doing that math correctly Um, so you have plenty of room there to describe basically every shade of every color um, that you can think of now color volume describes how colorful it is if you're restricted to the sRGB space uh, which is uh, traditional for like older uh, monitors then you have a certain amount of red and a certain amount of green but not Hmm. more vibrant of a red and more vibrant of a green Um, you typically don't talk about color volume when it comes to blue because turns out we can't see blue all too well Um, and so it just kind of sits there and even as like standards expand blue kind of just sits there Uh, it's the same blue uh, but green typically expands a lot, red expands a lot, which means that you see a lot more yellow, um, and things like that. Um, you might, may have heard of P3, uh, before, mm-hmm. which is the screen that, uh, your recent Apple device probably has. Uh, that one can describe much brighter reds, yellows, and greens, uh, than previously. Uh, and you'll see that if you have two, an old device and a new device side by side and you turn like the tone, uh, true tone off, you'll see that color just pop, um, quite significantly. Uh, so HDR absolutely does, this is a uh, code completion. Uh, it accident absolutely does expand in all three of these. You need more bit depth because you have more color uh, and more luminance. So if you had eight bits, you would see bands all the way through um, as you increase right. the brightness okay. and the color. Um, so you need at least 10 and sometimes you can go as much as 12 uh, with HDMI um, or up to 16 if you have a low resolution. Um, because as soon as you increase these bits, uh, the bit depth, you have less space for more pixels, obviously. Um, so that one's true, uh, going on to number two, standard dynamic range video is defined according to maximum luminance of hundred nits. Uh, and this is limited by the capabilities of CRT based display technology. Um, so this is standard dynamic range for home video. Uh, what do you think the, uh, maximum brightness is for cinema? So DCI, Digital question. Cinema Initiative, I think, uh, is a different standard um, for cinema. Uh, and the maximum brightness is actually 48 nits. Hmm. The reason for this is because if the bulb was brighter, it would melt the film. So that's, <laughs> that's the limit. Oh, uh, interesting. The 100 nits comes from the phosphors that were used for CRT uh, displays. That's how bright they got. Um, and the color that you get, becomes sRGB because that's just the color that you get um so a lot of these standards were just based on the display technology uh and when flat screens and lcds came later it was kind of hamstrung by this because it needed to match that it couldn't be well as you know tv manufacturers like to make more vibrant displays but Mm -hmm. that just makes people look orange and not uh particularly um interesting to look at uh when you're watching like a movie that's been very carefully calibrated and then it reaches your tv and everything is Uh, out of the window. So um, that's what the limits were for standard dynamic range, and that's why it's at 100 nits, just because that's what CRTs were capable of. Uh, So that one is also true. Uh, That leads us to number three, uh, where the Ultra HD Alliance defines a display as being HDR capable only if it can reach a limited peak brightness of at least 1,000 nits. So when I say limited, I mean the whole screen doesn't have to reach 1,000 nits, but... uh, A light bulb uh, that turns on on the scene—that one needs to reach a thousand nits. Um, Now, this might be peculiar because we've heard of different HDR displays: some that can reach a thousand nits, others that can't. Um, So, one in particular, one technology in particular, is OLED. Up until recently, was not reaching one thousand nits. So, were those not HDR displays? Uh, well, it turns out that Ultra HD Alliance uh, made no such stipulation because this is the compiler error. Um, a thousand nits is a nice target to reach, hit, but that's not what defines an HDR display. In fact, the only thing oh, that defines contrast? an HDR display is the fact that it can play HDR content. <laughs> Um, no, seriously? <laughs> basically, oh, that's so lame there, there, are very, there are very few actual uh, limitations, now what you were saying Spencer, about like use, looking at HDR content on a non-HDR display and it looks all wonky, that's because it's not an HDR display, um, so an HDR display, leading into the last one a little bit, uh, is one that's capable of tone mapping the brightness to its display profile um, and it can then go mm. ahead and show the as correct an image as it can um, based on its own capabilities. Um, now, the Ultra HD Alliance does have some stipulations in terms of um, what kind of display counts as HDR, uh, and one of them is if it either has a peak brightness of a thousand nits uh, and a black level that's less than zero point zero five nits, um, which is a contrast ratio about twenty thousand. So you're kind of there with the contrast ratio or it has a peak brightness of over 540 nits uh, and a black level that's less than 0.0005, so basically uh, pitch black. So if you have that contrast ratio, that's about a million to one, um, and that's what allows OLEDs to be considered HDR. It's all about what pushes your ability to see the brights and the shadows in that scene. Now, of course, you would not... Uh, have that OLED be in a very bright room it would not look HDR but in a pitch black room it would be HDR AF uh, like as bright as it can be um, and because your eyes will adjust to the darkness of the room before that display turns on and then everything will be really sin- uh, singeing bright so uh, that's, that's what makes an HDR display in terms of hmm. the Ultra HD Alliance but in terms of the overall industry an HDR display is only one that can play HDR content whether it displays that mm. content uh, well or not, that's that has nothing to do with it. Um, so, sorry about uh, number. So four I was being right. True. Tone
2: mapping is a thing, and you led me astray, Spencer. Thanks.
0: <laughs>
1: sorry, dude. <laughs> so uh, story of my life. That, I probably wouldn't have got it
0: right anyway. That's basically what tone mapping is: is to take the the footage, which says I can uh, like this scene, it can reach uh, four thousand nits. Uh, Here is my curve. Uh, for how I am mapping my display values or my pixel values to how bright something should be. And then the display will intelligently say, okay, I can't do 4,000 nits. In fact, very few displays can. Uh, but I can totally do 1,000. Uh, so I'm going to take the 1,000 to 4,000 range, and I'm just going to like curve that out. Scale so that down. way it's, it's right. not like gotcha. clipped, but it, it ramps up to that point. And then after that point, it's just going to be bright white uh, regardless um, so most parts of the scene will just be in that bright, right? Like if you have like the sun, whether it's a thousand or 4,000 does not matter. Uh, so you're not even going to notice this for the most part. Um, and that's what HDR technology is all about is this tone mapping. So that way the display can try to accurately show what the content is trying to tell it to show. Um, now this is in other, uh, terms just called color matching, uh, which has not really been a thing. Uh, up until recently you just kind of hope expect that the display knows what to do with the content and you just show it but um hdr kind of really pushes that as much as it can so
1: well now that you've explained that i feel really dumb
0: <laughs> well you knew more than the common person on what hdr is so uh you should none of it of that mattered that. <laughs> i did matter. not win <laughs> well now you know for next time yeah right uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's all it's learning small. opportunity. <laughs> sure. <laughs> He's not buying it, Dmitry. He's not. Um, He's, no. It's darn. Uh so as always, I want to personally thank uh everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. Uh be sure to follow uh follow and join codecompletion.io slash join the club. Uh I post all sorts of fun articles that I find Uh, throughout the week uh, in there and it's also a great place to uh, ask questions, especially if you have uh, questions about Ben's new course Uh, you can get help on there uh, as well from other developers who are not taking the course but may have more experience Um, so you should definitely go ahead and check that out Um, if you listen on Apple Podcasts give us 5 stars, I heard that's a thing uh, that I (laughs) forgot about for 26 episodes, so uh, (laughs) give us a good rating on that, it apparently helps uh, people find the show and that way they can enjoy it as much as you do uh and once again i want to give my thanks to ben who is at fairsky that's f-e-r-r-o-u-s-g-u-y on twitter and spencer who is at spencer c curtis that's s-p-e-n-c-e-r-c-c-u-r-t-i-s on twitter for joining me this week uh, my name once again is dimitri you can find me at dimitri punil that's d-i-m-i-t-r-i-b-o-u-n-i-o-l and we'll see you all next week you.